been ages. <laughs> well, we're here. We all made it. Thank you guys for being on. Welcome to what we are calling these days the TCP. Yeah, you know me. Yay. Back at it again. <laughs> and we have on, for the first time in a long time, I think the last time we had you guys on was... Peacemaker. Oh, Peacemaker. Yeah. Good one, Yeah. And then we wanted to have you guys on for Moon Knight, and I think the scheduling mm-hmm. debunked. But I'm stoked to have you on for this, because there's so much happening behind this show. We have the NWO, the Nerd World Order, broadcast with us today. And I'm not going to try to mimic your intro ever again, because <laughs> it, it was so hard to do. It was so good. I had to listen to it about 10 times in the car on the way just to be able to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got Alan Dukes, Joe Tawai, I could say, and yeah. Alf. Yeah. Alfonso Flores, the X-Men Flores. Do you want to quote Bobby Drake? Chill out. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we have... Um, <laughs> the other guy. The person I'm always with. Gabe. Half of the TCP. Yeah. The smaller half. What's up? It's Gabe. It's Gabe. He's back. I never know how to do these intros. I always just make them as awkward as possible, and then we just blow past them. <laughs> Let's see. What are we doing today? We're doing Miss Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Just finished yep. on Disney+. Plus. And you just finished, because yeah, you, you literally I, just finished I watching I just it. finished the last episode like an hour ago, so it's all fresh in my mind. There's so much to talk about. Because not only was it an interesting watch all the way through, but when it ended, it introduced a couple new ideas and concepts into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And from this point on, spoilers. Spoiler warning, right here, I don't think there's any way to talk about this show without spoilers, so here's your spoiler warning. But thank you guys for being here. I think we should play a little catch-up. I want to know what you guys thought of Thor Love and Thunder. By the time that this podcast airs, our episode of Thor Love and Thunder will already be out. But And Gabe and I, I think, were similar in our assessment that it was sort of in the middle for us, middle of the spectrum. Yeah. The kids say mid. It was mid. It was super mid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd love to hear what you guys thought. Thor Love and Thunder. Well, okay, I'll start because I know it's a good way to start. <laughs> I loved it. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. It was fun. But watching it, I'm thinking, I know why people aren't going to like this. And, and I can I can pinpoint that. And usually, I'm oblivious. It's usually, it's like, woohoo, love it, love it, love it, love it, because yeah. that's what I do. I have fun. I love it. And um, to quote Stephen, it was, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> this was fine. Joe's smiling because he's waiting for me to go into a nerd rage. <laughs> aren't you, Joe? <laughs> yes, Joe's just waiting for me to lose my crap. <laughs> okay so this movie was hot garbage i wanted to like it but this movie didn't know what it wanted to be is it a family movie is it a kids movie if it is let's not explain to alfonso's son what an orgy is okay we didn't need that in the movie i agree This movie was just all over the place. It had a love story that I liked. And then why were the Hammer slash Mjolnir's suddenly sentient to the point where they were having emotional crisis? Yeah. (laughs) That was possibly the most distracting thing I've ever seen in a movie. I agree. Uh, The goats, 
the goats was the goats were a one time joke that drug out through the entire movie why do you have to you know what it's like it's a kids movie right kids like the same joke over and over and over for years i don't it was funny the first time not the second or the 20th or the 100th <laughs> yeah there was and before we move to ms marvel i've said this before Every part of this phase of the MCU has given us nothing but trash after credits. <laughs> and Thor Love and Thunder continued these trash after credits. <laughs> so yeah, I tried to like it. I wanted to like it. I tried to paint it as a kid's movie. And then the more I thought about it, it wasn't a kid's movie. So hot garbage. What do you got, Joe? <laughs> Did you like it more than Eternals? <laughs> <laughs> Don't make him choose. Don't make him choose. <laughs> yes, I did like it more than Eternals. <laughs> Which doesn't say much. It is not. <laughs> Maybe the question is, did you hate it less? <laughs> um, did you hate it less? I mean, I thought it was decent. I mean, you're right, super mid. Probably a five, maybe. It was entertaining, but it was like another movie. If you take that out of the phase four, you didn't, you didn't really need to throw a movie. It has nothing to do with anything in Phase 4. Totally. Maybe they should have brought that to Disney+. Plus. I think if it was Disney+, Plus, our critique of the movie might be a little different. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's, it's, if it's on Disney+, Plus, dude, I mean, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's, you didn't have to pay to go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I pay for Disney+. Plus. It'll be there yeah, in but you don't have less to, than 45 well, days. Someone in my family does, but, you know, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> but I, I, I could see, like, the success of Ragnos, you know, the, the jokes and stuff, and the changing of Thor's character. I could see why... They went overboard with this movie mm-hmm. because it kind of worked the first time, but you didn't really need to go a hundred times the jokes one after the other. Is right. it a serious movie like Duke said, or is it a funny movie? I mean, even they focused so much on the the comedic of it that I wanted more gore, and you didn't see him actually kill people, and you you cheapened it by doing like when they were like in the spaceship and they did like little visuals of you know like all the gods that he had killed. I'd rather see him kill some gods. As opposed to wasting that opportunity, but I don't think that was the kind of movie that Wahihi Takiki Takiki was trying to make. Um, see, Gabe, you ain't the only one that butchers names. Tahiti, Tahiti, Tahiti. The one thing that I could say after watching that movie and walking out is just do better. You can do better. I'm trying to think. Was there something else? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What'd you guys think of Doctor Strange and the 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 mom and the mob? I don't know. What do you think about that, Alan? Uh oh. <laughs> Silence. I thought it could have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said in a, in a previous podcast, I just think that this movie could have been very well directed by someone else. Like Sam Raimi's had his time. Uh, it was right on the edge of being a horror movie, and they didn't exactly want to go there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't like it. You're not alone in that. A lot of people feel the same way, but just missed opportunities. Our imagination puts so much more pressure on yeah. our eyes when we see the actual movie because I think our imagination is better sometimes. At least we like to think so. But there's a lot of missed opportunities that I thought they could have did better on, disappointing on some things. But I feel like, again, it feels like it was kind of rushed. Totally. And uh, guess what? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I, I had a great time with this movie too. I mean, I, I loved all the different 
uh, aspects of you know every dimension that they had. I love the fact that the crimson bands of Sidorak were there, which is basically the same uh, creature where you get Juggernaut from, hmm. because the the crimson gem of Sidorak is what gives Juggernaut his unstoppable powers. Oh. So the fact that they unalived it didn't really help, but you know we're we're closer to Juggernaut now. <laughs> One step. One more step, yeah, and Deadpool too. Yeah, Deadpool too. Yeah, exactly. There, there was, there was so much of this movie that, yeah, it, it was a little off. But you know, I, I didn't know that Wanda was going to be the bad guy. I didn't know who the bad guy was going to be. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was a little bit shocked. I mean, it, I kind of understood it. You know, as a parent, you know, you, you want your kids, and you know, if you don't have your kids, maybe there's your kids in another dimension. <laughs> it was interesting that they use pretty much the exact same. Uh, set for the entire movie like you know you go through a dimension you come around the corner you're right there you go through a dimension you come around the corner you're right there over and over again i'm like oh that's kind of cool you at least you get to see the different ideas of that but you know same rooftop in every every different dimension um until you get to mount wondegore which mount wondegore super excited me because that's where wanda and uh quicksilver were raised in the marvel universe you know where magneto dropped them off and would come visit him once in a while because he was their daddy and i wish he still was but apparently he's not super retcons it would have been nice if Magneto just Wait, showed that, up. Is that the mount that she was like operating from that had the the Dead Sea Scrolls written on the yep, walls? Mount Wondergore. And what was funny was there was like this this uh, their nanny or nana. She was this this cow like woman. I forget. I think her name was Magda or something. Or, but anyway, she was the one that raised them. So when I, I got all excited when I saw that one wow. there in Doctor Strange's area, and I'm like, oh well, maybe that's her. No, I guess not. Hmm. But you know, it's. I'm just a big kid. I have a lot of fun with all this stuff. Sure. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things. One, Alfie needs to change his name to Mikey because everything I think he's just likey. <laughs> Mikey. And um, I think he likes it. And two, I was watching like the Disney Plus. They have like a behind the scenes of Doctor Strange, and apparently she wasn't going to be the villain. They had her own. They had a different storyline until COVID hit, and then when COVID hit, that's when he changed the way he wrote the movie. Interesting. Who was going to be the villain, did they say? Um, I don't remember the name. Mordo? Was it Mordo? Oh. No, it wasn't Mordo. Maybe it was just the... Uh... I think Mordo was entirely wasted in that film. And I really hope oh, yeah. Chiwetel Ejiofor has his comeuppance in like a third Doctor Strange film where he's like the main Doctor Strange villain. Because they're like arc enemies. Mm-hmm. I think they were also... There was a scene where he um, Wanda actually kills him, but they deleted that one. Oh, dang. Yeah, they need more to do with Mordo, for sure. <laughs> so really quick thumbs up thumbs down moon knight thumbs up i like moon knight cool yeah moon knight was a lot of fun man i liked it two thumbs up <laughs> from al <laughs> dukes is giving it a thumbs up all right and that brings us to miss marvel gabe how's it going do you want to do the cast oh, you want to no. read the cast <laughs> do I have to? of course it's not funny stop laughing <laughs> i can start with saying iman Vellani played Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. She's uh, basically what we would call a no-name before this. But she's going to be big moving forward, right? Yeah, she's great. I think she was the epicenter of this series, and a lot of the feedback, a lot of the critic feedback from this show has been Iman Vellani, Iman Vellani. She's great. She's great. She's so charming. So She's not going to be big. She's going to be embiggin. Nice. (laughs) Little Miss Marvel joke. I imagine the way they left the show that she'll be like, at the core of the plot for the Marvels, right? When she switches places with Carol. Mm-hmm. We also have, uh, beside Iman, there was Matt Lintz, was her friend Bruno. Uh, Brian. 
Brian, <laughs> but budget Peter Parker. Yeah, he was supposed to be what? Yeah, he ha- he was out for the role. Oh, before Tom actor? Holland got it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got that vibe from he. <laughs> yeah, he has like a, yeah. a pretty popular quote that circulated the internet saying he almost was Spider-Man, which is crazy. Their little friend group is rounded out with Yasmin Fletcher as Nakia, Rish Shah as Kamran, the son of the clandestine leader, and Kamala's family is. Zenobia Shroff as Muniba, and Mohan Kapur is Yusuf, her father. Her brother Amir is Sagar Shaikh. 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 Her grandmother, Sana, was played by Samina Ahmed, and I'm doing pretty good so far. You're doing yeah. great. This feels great. Yeah, you're doing really good. If you weren't, would we really know? <laughs> yeah, true that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> like Najma was uh, the clandestine leader. She's played by Nimra Buka. What about the most uber-attractive great-grandmother of all time, Aisha? Oh, Aisha? She's, like, deep in the cast. Hold on. She's deep in my heart. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, that was Mewish Hayat. There you go. She was great. And her husband, Hassan, was played by Fawad Khan. And then who uh, who are the, the agents? The Yeah. Back from Spider-Man No Way Home was Agent Cleary. <laughs> Love him. Wish we had a little bit more of him. That was uh, Aryan Moyed. I feel like he'll have an a important role going forward. I feel like they're doing a lot with them for some reason. What? And Agent Deaver, who was kind of the bigger antagonist here, was Elijah Rayner. The Red Dagger kid, Kareem, was oh, Aramis yeah. Knight. Aramis? Aramis? And Zoe Zimmer was Laurel Marsden. That's, I think that's all the main cast. Okay. Gabe, can you give us a quick breakdown of Pakistani culture? I'm sure you would wait, know. Wait, I don't understand. What are you asking? I don't know. <laughs> Well, Joe, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think Alan still has to edit his, man, because we were saying Indian. Indian. And it wasn't Indian. It's Pakistani. Oh, India and, um, broke and, off. And uh, Muslim. Well, I te- if India is the bigger piece, I think you could say pa- – I don't know if this is a sensitive topic, but I think Pakistan yeah, that, uh, yeah. would and, be. And, yeah, but they were also Muslim. Right. I yeah. think he's Pakistan and he's Muslim, right? Yeah. It was covered in the, uh, on the show, so – I don't think that yeah. would be that controversial or true. If you want the elevator pitch, the way the show presents it with the partition, when it happened in the 40s and 50s, it was a separation that happened mostly for the religious split. So the Muslims typically went to Pakistan and the Hindu or secular populace kind of stayed in India or went to India. So when all the people were like switching countries, that's when all the, the crazy stuff happened. But Pakistan didn't exist. Yeah, Pakistan Before. was formed for the Muslims, for the Muslims. from India. Gotcha, gotcha. And, that's, and then the partition had to do with something to do with the England giving up power? Yeah, I think it was like uh, technically British rule for over 200 years or something. And so when they left, they kind of, they didn't, it wasn't yes. a good transition of power. They just left like this void. And yes. so it was kind of just a... Which is common. With imperialism, yeah, with imperialism it's kind of common. Yeah, it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're wondering why we're talking about India, Pakistani history in this comic book show, that's one of the reasons this Disney Plus Marvel TV show is so fascinating, uh, at least in my mind, is because it introduces you to this this culture, especially for people that aren't familiar with it. People, you know, who are very westernized and not familiar with the history uh, plays a huge part into the, the theme and the plot and story of the show and uh it's a huge draw for people someone like me who who doesn't know much about that i feel like 
I'm being immersed in something that is unfamiliar. And therefore, just from the outset, it's more interesting to me. Apart from, you know, the fact that I thought it was pretty well-directed. But so it had its own sort of singular voice through the direction and the look and the feeling. But yeah, the culture uh, and how that played out was just so awesome to watch. How did you guys feel about the the cultural aspect of the show? Like to your point, uh, it's really nice. It educates us, entertains us at the same time. And uh, the music too. I, I like how they stay true to the music For sure. as well was a big part of their culture too so i thought it was pretty cool to introduce especially the young generation a different side of a different culture than they're used to so i appreciated that i like the way we get to see behind the scenes in a mosque you know it's Mm -hmm. like it's always been a mystery to me and it's like you know it's, it's it's really not much different than other houses worship but you know there is a separation between men and women and and, and they explained that. And it, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of cool to be, you know, the fly on the wall and see what goes on and, and explanations as to why, you know, at least their explanation. So it was it was it was really enlightening on that part aspect, you know, mm-hmm. and to see the family dynamic. You know, it's like, you know, they still have, you know, the guilty mother and the guilty grandmother. And, you know, it's 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 kind of neat. <laughs> it's it's it was just an eye opener. And I appreciated that so much. I feel like if you take the cultural aspects away from this show, then you're uh, not going to have the depth of overall enjoyment out of this show because it's almost like the culture, and to Joe's point, the music, become a character within itself, part of the supporting cast. Because it feels like Kamala's conflicts with her mother um, around wanting to go out and do things, you know, that's just a protective mom. But then like when they go try on clothes and stuff and they talk about aspects of their culture to Alfonso's point, you really get to see in depth different aspects of the Pakistani culture. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun to see how this culture cannot be separated from the character which is something that Marvel has done really well. And I think the only other character that might come close to that is Black Panther. Yeah, uh, that's a really good comparison. I totally agree. You guys will have to correct me on this, but isn't she a pretty new character in the comics? I think it was like only around 2013 that she was introduced. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, 2014, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's, she's still fairly new. She is. We all know this. When... when Fox owned the rights to characters like X-Men, right. New Mutants, etc. Marvel went into their phase of mm-hmm. they didn't want to make any more mutant comics because then it helps support Fox and they didn't right. want to have anything to do with them. So thus creating the Inhumans, and, or Inhumans was made in 1960, but they put a bigger push on Inhumans over the mutants in that time frame. And that was one of the characters that they chose. Originally, they were saying that she was going to, they wanted her to be a mutant. But yeah. it, but with the whole thing going on, they made her inhuman. Yep. Which I think, well, if you spoiler, that's probably why they did what they did. Right. We'll put a pin in that. Yeah. There, there was a, in the mm-hmm. comics really quick. There was a thing called the Terrigen Mist, and the Terrigen Mist is what gave Inhumans their powers. They're kind of half Cree, half human, living on the moon, right? So they would go through this rite of passage where they inhaled this Terrigen Mist. Or Wasn't that from Shield season two? It, it was in Shield Pretty as well, much. right? So yeah. what would happen was um, they would do that, but then it's like. Well, why are we hoarding it for ourselves here? Let's release it to the whole world see what and, and see who pops up, right? <laughs> but it did have a counter effect where it killed a lot of mutants, right? So it was bringing forth in humans and it was killing mm-hmm. mutants. 
and depowering mutants. And, you know, this way, like Joe said, they're not feeding Fox anymore. Now they're feeding the Inhumans. It's like, oh, they're just different. They're born different, too. They could be just like the X-Men and we'll, we'll, we'll have all rights to them. Right. So mm-hmm. that was that. Is the only real difference between Inhumans and mutants that of like the way they come about? They're half Cree. It's, it's they're halflings, you know. Oh. Mudbloods, whatever you want to call them. Gotcha. Mixed. So, but they all, but but they essentially just have powers, just like mutants would have powers. Right. And but they only they only get them when they're exposed to this terrigen. Yeah, mix. yeah, yeah. And it doesn't affect every human. No, it doesn't affect humans, but mutants. It was killing them. Okay. Gabe, what did you think about the cultural aspect of the show? Oh, I haven't even heard your opinion yet. Yo, I I agree with everybody. I think what Duke said is pretty important because I feel like the cultural angle was like not only the most definitive part of the show, but it was what everything hung on and everything like all the best like character moments in the show. It all hinged on that uh, aspect, and that was it. Seemed like the intention from the start. The show creator, I think it's Bisha K. Ali. That sounds right. And they had several directors kind of guiding that vision. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the show was at its best when it was kind of showing you the inside of that and the nuances. I love the carry of Nakia uh, particularly because she showed even within Islam all the little subtle things like, for instance, the the gender, like the way they separate the women and the men in the mosque was really interesting. And so there were a lot of fun little discussions and conversations inside of each episode that were kind of showing everyone... Because I think most Americans, probably your average audience, is going to be like super ignorant about all that stuff, mm-hmm. and potentially even like uh, kind of scared of it. So yeah, you know they, they didn't quite say it, but I I kind of got the impression that Nakia was half white. Yeah, yeah. Well, she did kind of say it. She, she kind of said it. Yeah, because mentioned her like the color of her skin and the implications that had on her social right. life and being accepted, and that's you know one of the reasons why she put on the hijab so that. You know, she can be more accepted, not, but you know, just not really accepted, but represented herself, who she feels she is. So. Is she someone that that maybe converted to Muslim? No, I, I think it was just, it was. I think she. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe her family that, did because they did. That's how I took it. I don't know if. Yeah, when they were at that fair, they're like, "There's those people, those people, the converts." Oh, she yeah. could have been a convert. Yeah. You're right. I was just gonna say, I think I, I have two minds about it because I think while the show was at its strongest when it was in those moments, I think that it. Overall, as a show with its own narrative, it kind of suffered for it in the long run. Like the whole flashback episode in the 40s in Karachi with Aisha was super cool. But ultimately, like all that stuff in Pakistan, I felt like it was kind of it didn't work really well. Like it, it was taking away from all the things that were so great about it in the first few episodes. So I don't know. It's tricky. So there's a couple of things I want to touch on. But for that, we have to talk about what happens in the show. Can you quickly summarize the story for us? The story? Yeah. Uh, young woman growing up in Jersey City. There you go. Her name is Kamala. Kamala? <laughs> Khan. And uh, she's just a high school student that ends up, she's a huge Avenger head, you know, big Nerd. fan. Yeah. And she ends up, it's revealed later, she has these nascent powers within her. Uh, for many reasons. But one of the things that activates that for her is this bangle, this old family heirloom that... That her grandma sends her. Yeah, she puts on and she all of a sudden has superpowers and she kind of takes up, not really the mantle of uh, Captain Marvel, but is inspired by her to sort of be her friendly neighborhood superhero. What do her powers look like? She controls hard light and that usually manifests in like a Mr. Fantastic sort of way. 
or she's stretching or like she can like distort her body with hard light and she can like create platforms for other people to fall on. (laughs) (laughs) She's like a walking Nintendo game. She can just create platforms to run around on. Um, Yeah. And so everything gets tricky because there's people pursuing her for the bangle because there's a group of individuals called clandestines or djinn in her world. What's a djinn? Uh, well, it's, it's old folklore that for this story just means these people are like trapped. They're from another dimension, the newer dimension or something. This reminded me of Midnight Special, that element of it. Yeah. Because they actually showed like, wait, there's a, there's a world within the world, you know? Yeah. Have you guys seen Midnight Special at all? Mm-mm. You guys should check it out. It's really cool. I was thinking to go with Aladdin, the genie of the lamp. You know, genies, genies and gins, they they share a lot in common. And like even if you ever watch Supernatural, they you know, they they track down gins, you know, it was one of the the common supernatural beings that they went after. And you know, so I thought gins were genies, are they not? Yeah. Okay. No. No. They're not. Yeah, I think there's they're some differences. <laughs> oh. But for this story, they're just people that are uh, in the wrong world at the wrong time. <laughs> okay. Living and forever. They're trying to get home what seems to be at the expense of our world. So Kamala doesn't really want to let that happen. So she's in hot pursuit the whole show. Also chasing her is the Department of Damage Control, which is this government agency that we we saw, I guess, in Spider-Man No Way Home with Agent Cleary, who is that reoccurring character. Who Didn't is- we also see them in Homecoming? Maybe. In the beginning, when they kicked out Vulture and his crew, yes. they're like, hey, we're the DODC. Oh, yeah. GTFO. We're going to take over. <laughs> LOL. Yeah. TTFN. I don't know how many other times we've seen them, but they seem to be playing a bigger role now. Yeah, I think they're for more like lower level stuff. They're not like Avengers level threats, you know? Well, in the comics, mm. all they do is clean up after superheroes. Yeah. So they're they're like a janitorial superhero and they, they're kind of trying to take a minority report role here where right like trying to like hey stop it before it happens or something i don't know i don't know if you guys noticed but they've got stark tech yeah. Did they? that's totally repulsor rays on oh those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those phasers were set to stun <laughs> <laughs> yes they were okay so then yeah well they they wrap up the whole clandestine plot in pakistan in the fifth episode najima dies closing the portal because she turns good as is the way and she transfers in that moment, it's seemingly all this power to her son, Kamran, who's back in Jersey. Yes. And that leads us into the finale where the DODC is chasing them at a high school, all of our young cast. And uh, Kamran is going just, <laughs> it made me think of Peter Petrelli oh, yeah. from Heroes, because he's like, he doesn't know what to do with his power either. He's about to blow. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of has this little villainous arc where he's like trying to maybe kill people because he's scared he doesn't have his family he's just running around and kamala has to simultaneously manage him from blowing up or hurting others causing collateral damage and she's trying to thwart the dodc so she eventually does in the end and she runs off into jersey city to pursue her crime fighting future (laughs) or cosmic future because she switches places with carol danvers so yes but before that what happens oh yeah Bruno tells her she's a mutant. Ba ba ba. Yeah, they, they even play the, the little theme. Yeah, super cool. Uh, I I have so many questions based around, like, okay, everything we've said about the story so far has been true. <laughs> <laughs> the setting 
and the cultural aspect is fascinating the direction of it and then the power stuff is where i get kind of like muddled and lost so can you guys talk about the clandestines or the clandestines and who the heck they are nwo boys because i don't i don't know anything about them (laughs) i'm gonna speak honestly i remember seeing clandestine on the shelves and it stayed on the shelves i never picked Mm -hmm. it up once for sure dude I can't tell you anything about the clandestine except the comic book's been going up in value because I tried to buy one and I decided like 80 bucks for the first issue was not Whoa. worth it. Yeah, so I don't know anything about it. All right, I got this. <laughs> okay, in the 90s, you know, Marvel's looking everywhere to make money and they go to Marvel UK. Marvel UK produces a couple of things. Uh, Death's Head is probably the most common, famous one. Um, Clandestine was another one. There was quite a few books out of there, and they were trying to get them full steam, full power. I forget who the, the artist leading the way was, but I wasn't really impressed with this work. The reason why I know about it so much is because I did work at a comic book shop at a time, and they did cross over with the X-Men once. Wasn't very interesting. I have this thing where if the artwork throws me off, I don't really read into it too deeply. One thing I did find that was interesting was when Comron was in Bruno's room, there's a periodic table and he looks, he goes, oh, Argon. (laughs) That's my favorite element. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Like, that's kind of weird. So I look it up. Marvel, Argon. Argon was a villain in the Marvel UK wave. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm like, is he Argon? The powers didn't quite match up, but it's possible. I bet you he's going to come out as Argon. Yeah, it it wasn't, you know, it, it's interesting that they're they're pulling from that. And, you know, it's probably because they have all these books somewhere, you know, piled up and they're just going to be like raking in the cash, you know. But that that's pretty much all they are. And that's, you know, the same thing in the book. They were gens. They were gens, you know, some of them looked more like genies. Actually, there was two main ones. They had kids, they had kids, they had kids. And so there was like this whole family tree of all these people with superpowers. And, you know, the youngest ones, they wanted to be famous. They wanted to be superheroes. They wanted to get involved. The other ones were like, they're just, you know, making sure they didn't get hurt. So it's so kind of like an Eternals type thing, almost. Kind of like an Eternals type thing. And, okay, do you know how they got stuck here in the first place? No. I'm assuming there was some kind of wormhole, you know, scientists, evil scientists. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't think they're that dope to even do this much detail into them. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, to me, they're like Eternals. They didn't do anything for the story. <laughs> well, I'm right? interested. Like, I'm interested. Because but they didn't do anything for the story. I mean, you have the gen. So what is she? Is she a mutant? Is she a gen too? And then she has a little bracelet. Make up your mind. Well, if you look at it too, the gen really didn't have any powers. They were just, you know, really good at karate. <laughs> you know, they've been around for a lot. The Russian guy was a little stronger than the rest of them because, you know, he was Russian. Right. And that's that's <laughs> pretty much all it was. So it's like it's interesting that somehow breeding with humans created some kind of genetic mutation which caused that one to have powers and somehow that bangle unlocked um kamala's in in my theory what i'm thinking is i think the bangle just you know when you when you're a mutant and you have powers it develops at puberty okay she was 16 17 it couldn't make sense the bangle did something to kind of like traumatize her to have those powers come forth and that's usually how it happens with mutants they they're traumatized somehow but the bangle 
was probably not get, it wasn't giving her the powers but if you notice when she put it on she'd fall back and next thing you know she's some kind of other dimension or she this and that so i think the bangle is more of a teleportation transportation type thing and that's how her and carol danvers switched at the end her power was the hard light but she thought it was because of the bangle because coincidentally it happened at the same time but they also said that she was controlling the nor or like the- i think that was happening with the bangle and not her power okay See, it's this kind of thing that I'm like, okay, Disney, Marvel, it feels so muddled. Does it feel muddled to anybody else? Well, it's the mystery. They're trying to have the mystery. You know, they said there was two bangles originally, right? And also Did that they? makes that makes me think that there's they're like the quantum bands that uh Quasar used, you know. Uh, so I you know, it's it's tough to say what they actually are. Maybe one teleports there, one teleports back or something. Are this the nega bands? The nega bands, yeah. So yeah, I'm just gonna I'm going to take a page from Alan Dukes and just say that's just lazy writing. <laughs> we're we're going to make her a mutant, but we can't give it away until the end of the last episode, which ironically is a week before San Diego Comic-Con, where I'm going to be announcing all these different shows and movies. I think that Bengal is just used to carry, to trick you, to not understand she's a mutant, which they're probably going to use the... That bangle and the other one, she'll probably end up having two, and it's going to be like a Thor thing where she doesn't need it for her powers, but it can make her stronger kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, it also kills her. Come on. Yeah, come on, man. Well, they pulled yeah. it off a Kree, right? They pulled it off a dead Kree yeah. in the temple because it was like a blue arm. It was a blue yeah. arm. I mean, some of the gins are blue, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. Which was in this, the, the, also that building was the Ten Rings. Oh, well. that's true. Hmm. And the Ten Rings are revealed to be like celestial stuff, right? Not necessarily. We don't know. They sent they sent some kind of message out. We don't know where it went. We don't know who it was still. Isn't that what Wong said? Well, so there's a theory like at the end of, you know, the end of credit scene, which is Dukes' favorite in phase four, where they were talking about, you know, it, it's given off a signal. The Ten Rings are given off a signal. So the theory is Carol Danvers was investigating where that beacon was at. And so the time that they the beacon is probably the other bangle, which she touched, and at the same time, you know, Miss Marvel touched, and that's where they switched. And and Miss Marvel is where Carol Danvers was at. I'm pretty sure all of this is setting up Secret Wars, because none of oh, it yeah. makes sense. They're literally. It's almost like I mean, like Alan was saying, like it's like they're doing nothing. It's like it's like we're just watching things and then going, where are we going? characters keep getting summoned or disappearing or like switch places i'm like and then there have been so many especially with with the gray man coming out the rooster brothers have been commenting saying the secret wars would be our dream marvel project and i'm like well for your safety may i have your attention please As many people already know, this was recorded before San Diego Comic-Con when Kevin Feige announced Avengers 5 and 6, 6 being Secret Wars. The directors of Avengers 6 still has not been announced. Directors of Avengers 5, the Kang Dynasty, is going to be Shang-Chi director Destin Daniel Cretton. That makes the most sense to me. Like They're going to get the Russos back to do Avengers 5 or 6, and it's going to be Secret Wars. It ha- It has to be. I just, I can't see, I can't see like what else they're doing at this point. It almost feels like they're going to tie in the multiverse stuff to it or just curb the multiverse stuff to get to the secret wars. But it just doesn't really make sense at this point. It's like, how are you going to, 
There's so many little minor questions that people have, especially as they're setting all this stuff up. I don't know what else they would do. It's like, it's, it seems like it's becoming too convoluted, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, Joe said it best, right? The road to secret wars is paved with lazy writing <laughs> because I've never been so confused hearing Alfonso before in my life. So when he tried to... <laughs> talk about talking about the clandestines. Well, no, no. I mean, that was bad too, but when he was explaining how Kamala was traumatized by putting on a bangle, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it, does she get traumatized when she goes into Forever 21 and tries on some cheap bangles in there too? No. Yeah. Right? So, she's a mutant. And she was traumatized into getting her powers? No. Um, the bangle activated her powers? Maybe. She's not a mutant. IMO, that last scene was a rewrite. That last scene was a rewrite because they're trying to expedite bringing mutants into the MCU. The yeah. best way to have possibly brought mutants into the MCU was Secret Wars. But because we still need to bring in the X-Men. Uh, we still need to bring in the Fantastic Four. But now we hear that Thing is going to be in, mm -hmm. uh, let's see she here, in She-Hulk, she right? Mm -hmm. So it's like they're mm -hmm. trying to expedite everything through lazy writing. Mm-hmm. Which means they won't need Secret Wars because we're not going to have all these overlapping dimensions like we did in Secret Wars. So, mmm. um, to, to, to Stephen's point, it's all getting so convoluted mm -hmm. because they don't know where they're going. That's why the end credits are kind of garbage. That's why everything's a throwaway. It's why none of these shows really have to be part of the MCU. Uh, we can say that Hawkeye is setting up Thunderbolts, which would just be another Disney show. Uh, we can say that Moon Knight's completely independent of, in, of everything else within the MCU. Uh, we can look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, possibly relating, but also didn't relate to much of anything that's going on in the MCU movies. Mm -hmm. Loki could have had a big impact, but they've completely ignored everything that happened in Loki <laughs> for all of the MCU movies. Haven't touched it, haven't mentioned mm -hmm. it, nothing at all. True. So it's like, to your point... They don't know what they're doing. And it's all lazy writing trying to get everything back on track. And Alfonso, yeah. please never try to explain anything <laughs> like that before. Because, bro, I nearly fell out my chair. I had no idea what you were talking about, dude. <laughs> the bangle has its own power. It just freaked her out. Okay, which, which actually brings me to, like, the biggest question that I have about mutation. Okay, so here we are. We've all been waiting for mutation for a mutant to show up for some sort of X-Men inclusion. Okay, so I've always thought Scarlet Witch was our first mutant, and we it just has not gone mm -hmm. said. You know, no one has actually come out and said that yet. Yeah. So I guess now canonically within the MCU, Kamala Khan is the first mutant, but I it, the, the origins of her powers are so confusing mm -hmm. with the clandestine the nor the gin stuff the the half blood unlocking the mutation or something i don't know what she is at this point she doesn't feel like a mutant to me cuz she has her own show with her own title she's not like part of the x men or the brotherhood or some other sort of mutant clan or the morlocks or anything like that so i i, I okay she's miss marvel she's going to have probably 
more seasons or uh, I mean, we know she's going to be in the Marvels, but more seasons or maybe her own movie at some point. You know, she's she's her own IP, her own intellectual property that's going to stand on its own two feet. And so for her to be a mutant, I don't know. It just kind of like cheapens it for me, I guess. And and also, especially because everything was so uh, muddled up to this point with the origins of her powers. And what you said, Dukes, actually is correct. The the showrunner, I forget her name, mm-hmm. Bisha. Bisha, has come mm-hmm. out and said that was a rewrite. Oh. It it was yeah. uh, throughout the making of the whole show, they mm-hmm. didn't know that that was going to happen. And then they rewrote uh, episode six. And when it got to filming episode six, that became a part of the ending. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the post credit scene was directed by Nia DaCosta, who's directing the Marvels. And she directed that post credit scene. And she said that Feige's behind all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Always. He, no, he really is. He said, film that scene, and I will, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to use it for, but just film it, and you'll find out later. She didn't even, the director of the Marvels didn't even know what that scene was going to be used for. Mm-hmm. And the writing in of her being a mutant was also his idea. It all, it literally comes from him. I was talking to someone recently who works very high up at Marvel, and I asked him that question. I said, at the end of the day, who gets to make the say, who gets to make the call of what happens at Marvel when it comes to like, you know, the minor details, he's like, Oh, it's Feige. Like literally Feige will say this should happen or this should happen. And then it happens. And a lot of the times the filmmakers themselves don't even know what's going on. So I, I want to believe in Feige because he's led us this far. And, you know, we saw what he did with the infinity saga is what it's being called phases one through three. So I have to believe that he knows what he's doing and that at some point it's all going to come together in some master plan. But, but will that improve these projects we're getting now? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's kind of where I'm falling. Um, and I think the answer is no, but, but it's unfortunate and it's weird because like I'm, I'm so half and half, like I love some of the stuff and I don't love others. But my bigger question is like, what the heck is this mutation? I've, I've got two things for you. If it's not X-Men mutation. The first thing is, you know, I, I do believe Scarlet Witch was the first mutant because they showed, they didn't, they didn't have anybody running tests, but they did show that she had powers before they hit her with whatever, what did they hit her with again? It was the Cosmic Cube. Uh, yeah, before it? the Cosmic Cube. Right. So they were they were showing that she had those powers before, but this somehow enhanced it. So yeah, I believe she's the first mutant that they, they had out there. And, you know, even though in the comic books right now, she's not a mutant, she's a mutant. The second thing is, whenever you crossbreed, you're going to have some kind of genetic mutation, right? So you're you're crossbreeding the the gen with humans. So there's some kind of mutation going to happen there, right? I mean, it's got to because they're two different, completely different species, and sometimes those those mutations are going to come out like pretty, and sometimes they're not, right? So like even even the um, I don't know what are those Eternals, whatever they are, Eternals, and the Eternal bad guys. Yeah. You know, the, when, when they cross meet with humans, something different's going to happen, right? So maybe they're just going to try to explain this way, you know, like regular science. Like, I, I think when the X-Men came out, they just said, oh, well, there's a genetic mutation because everything is evolving, right? 
where it's like this is it's not just happening. There's there's they're happening because people are crossbreeding with aliens, right? That that's just my thought. But okay, the X Men, the, the the mutation comes from the X gene, right? And this isn't that, right? This is a mutation happening from something else, which doesn't really mean she's a mutant as we would want it to be. But it's a mutation. Yeah. It is a mutation, but it's not the mutant. It's not that. And that's why I think it feels bad, even though I, we all wanted it. Like, everybody wants the mutants to join ASAP, right. like yesterday mm-hmm. or last week. But it just felt weird when it popped up here at the end. I don't know. I, I, hope, I hope you are, Steven. All right. I was going to hate this. The writer of the, of the show, I, I don't know her name. I can't remember. Gabe, you, I'm sure Isha? you know her name. Isha. Isha says for sure that she is a mutant. They asked her like in an interview, and they said, "Yeah, she's a mutant. That's why they have that theme song in there." I don't think she's the first mutant. I think if we all remember correctly, who's the most powerful mutant on the planet? Scarlet Witch. Besides her, when it comes to manipulating the mind. Oh, Charles. Professor X. What does he use to make his mind stronger? Cerebro. 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 Exactly. So why hasn't anyone talked about him using that? to manipulate people's minds to think that there's no mutants at all. Because nobody knows they're being manipulated. Because he mind wipes everybody. Uh-oh. Exactly, which is like lazy writing to Duke's, because I know Duke's going to say this, <laughs> but I could see them doing something like that. Well, hey, we've always been here. She's not the first mutant we've been here, but uh, I've been brainwashing everyone and nobody knows about it. I mean, that would make sense. But the idea of mutants also coming about as like a new thing within this universe, like where mutants are happening now, like mutations just happening is also kind of exciting. Well, you know, the other thing is too, it's like, she's not the first mutant. She's the first mutant we're hearing about in the MCU. We know Namor's coming in, in you know, the yeah. new Black Panther movie and he is a mutant. But as far as what we're hearing, who we're finding our mutants, mm-hmm. it's definitely Scarlet Witch and then Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. But Joe, did it feel bad to you? This... When the mention of her being a mutant at the end of the show, how did it feel for you? It's lazy the way they did it, but everyone's stoked about it because mm-hmm. that's your first taste of like anyone going, dang, the X-Men are coming. You know, and it also makes you curious about like the new season of X-Men 97 of like mm-hmm. how they're going to do it. Because I remember I, I, I hadn't watched them for a long time and I was... um send a message to X. I'm like, bro, did the stories jump from every episode to the next and it just keeps doing that? Where I think the the newer series isn't going to be like that and they're going to explain... I think they're going to explain where they've been at this whole time. Because they've always been around. I think you it's going to be... Kind of like they did with What If. Do you think X-Men 97 is going to be a part of the MCU? Kind of like What If is? Yes, because... The reason why I think it's easy, and, and, and if you notice with all the Disney Plus shows that they're putting out, is you guys had mentioned earlier, it's, it's a segue to fix some loose ends, even though they're creating a lot more loose ends, but to do development and anything they want to develop in a TV series rather than putting it in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier to do it that way. That way they can do whatever tweaking they want to do in the series. And I think that's what they're going to use the X-Men 97 for hmm. is to introduce the X-Men at the same, because it's easier for them to do what they want to do as far as like the action sequences and stories for them to move it along quicker. So they don't have to waste a whole movie explaining that. That's interesting. I haven't thought of it like that. That would be cool. That would be cool. I guess I haven't thought of that before. So 
I know Dukes is waiting to say something. Look at him. <laughs> Look. Was What If actually part of the MCU? Other than Captain uh, Captain Carter? I don't like, know. If you really If you really think about it, was it part of the MCU? Like, did it have any effect or it, was it actually related to the MCU? I have no idea. Other than the multi multiverse, that's it. I don't think it's had any actual effect on it, no. Yeah, I, I really feel like, you know, I thought that we were going to get Strange Supreme mm-hmm. uh, from What If mm-hmm. in the Multiverse of Madness. But I remember after I got done watching uh, Multiverse of Madness, I asked Joe, like, hey, was that Strange Supreme? And he's like, nope. It wasn't. I'm like, okay. So, so we didn't get anything. Uh, you can say Captain Carter, but was that was that possibly like the same Captain Carter or like an impact? No. <sighs> you know, the the more I talk about the MCU, the more disappointed I become because <laughs> because even when we as fans try to write in things that make sense, like okay, what if created all these possibilities, things that could happen, but they didn't use it in Multiverse of Madness. So it's like Strange Supreme could have been the quote-unquote bad Doctor Strange um, in Multiverse of Madness, but he wasn't. And, and so my point getting back to it instead of uh, getting off track is as much as I want Joe to be right because it's a good way to do it, I don't think X-Men 97 is going to tie into the MCU just because what if really didn't when you think about it. They just kind of glanced over it. And even though we as fans kind of you know fanficked it in, it wasn't. It wasn't part of it at all. Uh, and this whole Kamala Khan is a mutant thing, the more that we talk about it, it's just silly. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, she has the bangle, the bangle gives her powers, but then it doesn't. And, you know, she hit puberty, but oh my god, she's like 17 or 16. She already hit puberty. Which <laughs> means that wouldn't have happened as a mutant gene. It should have already happened. It's just really badly written when you stop and think about it. That mm-hmm. one idea completely messes up everything we should be talking about with the show because it completely derailed the quality of the show. Yep. And then not to mention you got the she's fighting the gens. Now she's not fighting the gens. Now she's fighting, you know, like the oh, damage control unit. You know, it's like who's the villain? You know what I mean? Then she's trying to rescue the guy. <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. I actually really liked how they ended this series i i should say because like we've been shitting on the the details but but i really mm. liked the show a lot yeah it's it's <laughs> no, in my it's good it's ranked in my top 10 of like mm. everything marvel's done it's in my top 10 things it might be like number eight mm. or nine but it's it's mm. up there for me as a start to finish work like if we're looking at this one season as like its own movie you know complete story i liked this season a lot it felt when it started it felt a lot like iron man 1 to me like it had kind of like less focus on the powers and more focus on the person which is exactly i think the thing that's been missing in a lot of uh the mcu stories and it felt like you know just like well paced it was interesting you like the characters from the outset and then what it did in episode 6 where it took one of the characters that you have come to know that Kamala really cares for and made him both a friend and a foe at once and having Kamala have to come to the realization that like, what are we fighting for? It was one of my favorite things I think I've ever even heard in the MCU. One of my favorite quotes that she said, 
I, I will I will botch it if I try to quote it, but it was something to the effect of there's just you and me and us trying to choose to do right or something like that at the end of the day. And I was like, wow, that was really profound and simply just beautiful. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then she helped her friend get away and he ended up making the right decision instead of like, you know, doing what Daenerys did and last season of game of thrones and torching everything (laughs) we don't talk about that yeah and so he Mm. he escapes and and goes and finds (laughs) her other friend which which also didn't feel like a lost plot line not the show lost just you know lost to being its own (laughs) unique thing in episode four like that character was brought back as well and it all kind of tied together in the end and i just thought it ended really really well much better than hawkeye did and that was like I had such a sour taste in my mouth because I loved Hawkeye so much. And then episode six came and it felt really bad. But this episode six, I really, really enjoyed how it ended. What do you guys think of Miss Marvel as a, as a whole, as a work? I thought the show was great. It was phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. I loved her family. I loved her friends. I loved the interaction with the mosque. The mosque was kind of like, a central point of the community everything about this show that i liked uh, gabe is absolutely correct when he says that i believe like episode five kind of derailed the show which is funny because i think the name of the show is something like the train or something like that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um yeah other than that other than episode five which i thought was kind of like yeah i could do without this the show was just great like i felt like the last episode had so much heart and mm-hmm. I feel like we, the only show that I would compare to this, um, even though a lot of people don't like the show, is Falcon and Winter Soldier. And what I mean by that is that episode, the final episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I felt like the character came into their own and really showed who they are. And they also connected with the community. I felt like that's what Kamala did. Mm-hmm. So I totally. really love the show. Oh, that's awesome. I like the show as well. I mean, it sounds like we're bashing it and all. But some, <laughs> we're just like extra critical on some things because Marvel has been letting us down through phase four. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed the casting of every characters. I think every character that was introduced in the series didn't annoy me. And um, were very intricate to the, keep the, the plot of the uh, the show going. I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was good casting. Um up, you know, like for me, it was episode four. I think me and Dukes talked about it, like the love story, like in the middle of like um, her great grandmother and great grandfather, you know, when they first met, kind of slowed down. I thought that might have been better in the maybe the first episode and builds up to the end. Kind of like, you know, the Hawkeye were, what was it, four or five? I think four and five was really good, and then six let us down. Um, so for me, it kind of did that, but then kind of picked itself up. I, I thought it ended very nice, kind of like how you said on the when you guys talked about the Obi-Wan, like the ending was very fulfilling, you know, with Obi-Wan and um, Darth Vader, like the way it ended, it was very satisfying. And for me, like even though we're, we joke around about the whole mutant thing, I think that was a, a cop-out but an easy way to introduce the X-Men, that's the theme song, and I'm okay with it. You know, like Marvel has been hit and miss on a lot of stuff that they're doing and I'm okay with it. I mean, Kevin Feige gave us two, 10 good years. He's okay to like do whatever and experiment however he wants, but um, I enjoyed the show. Yeah. 
everybody keeps mentioning Hawkeye, but in the in the end credits, I don't know if everybody noticed that there was a Trusta Bros moving company van going through. No, I didn't. Oh, I loved it. Every yeah. time I saw it, I was like, yeah, That's yeah, funny. bro. <laughs> but uh, the show itself, I, I loved it. I mean, it was the character, you know, that girl had so much charm and personality and heart. Um, you know, you could, as, as a person, you could tell it's not just her acting, you know, she's, you know, she's got that, that smile that just, uh, she's, she was so much fun. I just had so much fun with her. Um, and you know, we, we all kind of failed to mention the artwork in this show. You know, she was an artist and, and the artwork, she it translated to the screens, to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the walls, everything, and everything was moving in motion and, you know, the emojis and it was, it was so well done, so well put together. And I, I, I had a blast with it. You know, it just, it reminds me of my daughter and her artwork and, and, you know, just probably how she sees the world. And I love watching the show with her. It, it blew me away. It, it was, it was, it had so much heart and it gave me the feels. <laughs> I was going to mention the artwork if nobody did, but specifically the titles Yeah. and how the title would pop up and it would flash between like a bunch of different art styles. Right. But it didn't. And then every new episode had a bunch of new art styles that to introduce. And right. I was like, man, this thing is. This thing is fresh. And that, is- that's what I liked least about episode four. There was like no art. Yeah. You know, and it's it took away from it. I It was a nice little story, a nice little segue, but it just, it didn't have the same feeling. Five? Five, yeah. The train one. The one that derailed. <laughs> Gabe, Gabito. Yeah. I agree with everything you guys are saying. I thoroughly enjoyed this, which I totally didn't expect to going into it, just because of... I remember. <laughs> the, the impression I got from promotional material was kind of like oh it's going to be for kids it's a kids show for kids because marvel stuff is already kind of safe you know uh but it was super (laughs) enjoyable like you said the charisma of the whole cast was amazing and it felt very cool we already talked at length about like all the cultural stuff which was amazing to me i love all the stuff i mean not just in marvel but that i think film and television is doing right now as the world kind of opens up and we see a lot of cool stuff kind of flowing into the West, like in media, which hasn't happened like a lot in the past until now. Like we just, Steven and I just watched Pachinko on Apple. I think it was Apple, right? And that's like all the Korean history of the 20th century. And all this reminded me of the best parts of that, which is like talking about the partition and all the world history stuff is such a win with me. I think that's an amazing way to design a show is to like show people more about reality, like world history and not just it. The way that you integrate that with comic book stuff is, is so cool. I think and a, and a huge opportunity for Marvel uh, with not just like to make it about social issues, but like that is such a cool thing that they can do. And I think they executed it really well here, but I do have to be pretty critical also of the show. Uh, for the middle part, like the strong first two episodes and the finale uh, didn't really make up for me the way they wasted the clandestine potential. And I know it's just a one-off villain. It's always a one-off villain with Marvel until they come back. Uh, And even though it's like, it's a new villain, nobody really knows anything about it. Like nobody had expectations for the djinn or the clandestine sect that was lost in our world. Sure. I felt like it was a pretty big wasted opportunity to flesh them out more. Like when they had that villainous turn, it felt very sudden to me and I wish they had strung it out maybe for another episode or two and maybe um, forget the red daggers completely. Maybe use the clandestines as like a foil for Kamala's own family and have maybe Kamala play with her loyalties towards Najima versus Mm. her own 
mother and grandmother and great grandmother. So th- I was really disappointed they didn't. And Najma was so one note. Like, and then she turns at the end again yeah, and yeah. just like, I'm a good guy now. Yeah. I don't know. That was my only really like meaningful critique of the show. But Marvel doesn't really have a rich track record of uh, amazing villains. That's exactly what I told you when I was pitching the show to you. I said, there's a drop when the villain gets introduced because it's so <laughs> cookie cutter. It, it almost does nothing for the show. Yeah. Like the most interesting parts about the show are everything else but what's going on with the powers. <laughs> yeah, which I, I feel like it would have been so easy just to... I feel like they made they tried to put a little too much expo dump in there with the red daggers. I feel like they could have just left that stuff out. And you could even keep her journey to Karachi because all that stuff was really cool. Yeah. Fleshing out her family history. But yeah, the clandestines, it was just kind of a wet fart for me. But even though their <laughs> whips were cool, like they had the cool belt whip yeah. and the clubs... But I couldn't tell you anything about those guys other than they were, like, they were after her. <laughs> I also really liked the acceptance of her powers. It's something we don't see often in, in stories like this, like comic book stories, by her parents. Yeah. And her family was just yeah. so accepting of her. They, like, Afterwards. Yeah, throughout the, well, throughout the whole thing, they, they just wanted her to be honest and tell them what was going on. And then once, it, you know, once she did and... They, they just accepted her for who she was and helped her. I mean, her mom was the one that gave her the costume. I thought that was cool. Yeah. The family dynamic was just so touching and heartfelt. It was uh, They pulled it off really well, something that I was honestly really afraid of. I thought it would be really cheesy. I think it was probably the thing that you were like, the reason that you didn't want to watch the show in the first place was thinking it was going to be a lot of that done not well. But it was done really well, and I was really happy about that. It's that Fast and the Furious family. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's funny that family has been a huge theme. Black Widow had like the same idea mm-hmm. behind that movie and like family, even though it was kind of dysfunctional. <laughs> but the whole the whole movie was about family, you know. Well, yeah. Even th- Thor Thor tried to hit that too, but it, Thor did. Yeah. Yeah. Eternals was that as well. <laughs> family. Yeah. You know, with Black Widow, I mean, when does that take place? Does that take place before Hopper goes back to? <laughs> <laughs> Stranger Things joke. Honestly, if you think about like since Thanos in every Marvel TV series or movies, there hasn't been quite a, a good villain. And the the issue that I have with Marvel is when they create a like a like a gore is a, a really ruthless and, and dope villain, but yet you're gonna make him have redemption at the end of the you know, Thor, make him a nice guy. I protect my daughter. You know, so it's like Marvel just needs to create a villain and he's just a villain. Like they're really good at going into their backstory, explain how they became a villain. And mm-hmm. I think that takes away for me, just like they did with Thanos, man. Like as good as that villain was, you you like, well, maybe Thanos was right. You know what I mean? So it's <laughs> like they, they're really, Marvel's really good at doing that. If it, you know, like mm-hmm. with Justice League, you know, like, Dark side is he's evil. He ain't gonna like regurgitate his evilness to be good. He's just playing out evil. He's there to kill you and conquer. Now, since Endgame, every villain is Thanos. Go back to I'll say Captain America: First Avenger. Red Skull is just just evil, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't have some you know motive like oh he wanted to save his family and that's why he did all this stuff. And if you think about all the villains. Like Ultron, right? He was just evil. He just wanted to kill everybody because humans mm-hmm. were bad, right? <laughs> Prior to Thanos, 
all the villains were just very clear cut. But then Thanos comes along and he's just so fascinating that Marvel says, oh, we got to make all the villains like him. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like every villain has to be like, oh, Killmonger. Is he really bad or is he just trying to protect his homeland? It's like, come on, bro. Just let him be bad. (laughs) And that's to your point. That's the problem with Marvel now is they had one movie that is, you know, obviously considered a, a phenomenal movie, but they're now relying on that formula to create the rest of their villains. And it's getting old, you mm-hmm. know, to your point. Let Gore be Gore. Let him just go around killing gods, and we want to see it on screen. We don't need yep. a redemption at the end. Yeah, it's... it's Come on, Marvel. Get it together. Mm-hmm. Give us what we saw in the first half of Marvel. Evil. Just evil villains doing evil stuff because they're evil and they want to take over the universe. This is my huge worry about Doctor Doom. It, I mean, it really is. And also, who who will play him? We still don't really know. There's a few rumors, but that's my big worry is them trying. If they mess up Doctor Doom, it's going to be mm-hmm. the biggest slap in the face to fans. Yeah. It's like I love they cannot get him right. Or if they cannot get him wrong. <laughs> if they do get him wrong, mm-hmm. it's going to be... Like it, there will there will be cut ties from from fans. <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's gonna be huge. It's gonna I, be a huge blowout. Yeah. I love Doctor Doom. Uh, quick question to Alan: What do you think about Justice League? The 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 Snyder Cut. Yeah, it was awesome. What did you think about Suicide Squads too? It was also awesome. What do you think about um, Peacemaker? Also awesome. Hmm, looks like DC's doing better yeah. this time. <laughs> You know, Joe, I actually thought that the other day. I really did. I was like, wow. It's like it's like Marvel is such a juggernaut within itself. No, that's not an X-Men reference, Alfonso. What? Wait. Marvel is such a juggernaut within itself that lately we've been spoon-fed this just utter trash. And we're like, oh, it's a Marvel movie. It's going somewhere. And so we just gobble this up, right? But then DC puts out these, let's say, decent movies, better than what Marvel's been putting out, TV shows, movies, and we're like, wow, DC, you're doing better. But in actuality, they're doing better than Marvel. <laughs> they're putting out better content. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just crazy because no one recognizes it because Marvel is so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Harley Quinn is good. Oh, yeah. The anime yeah. series. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. I have not watched that, but I heard it's great. I hated yeah, it's pretty good. the Harley Quinn movie. Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. That was Birds of Prey. I I tr- I actually tried three separate times to watch that movie and stopped it, and and I still haven't finished it. And Dang, I've well, ne- sounds- I've never done that with any movie. I can usually yeah. just like mindlessly watch a film. I turned it on on three separate occasions and turned it off. Wow. It was so bad. I couldn't believe it. This is the final question for you guys, and thank you again for being on here. Yeah, thanks for having us. I, I love having you on, and I wish it happened more. If we all weren't adults and had lives out here, it would be happening all the time. <laughs> but this might be the biggest question of the podcast so far, of this episode. Are you all... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't even say with a straight face. Are you all excited for She-Hulk? <laughs> which, which is the next... It's the next thing coming out. I think they're trying to... Put out a like a one shot special of a, a Groot special alongside it, but to try to maybe comfort the blow of She Hulk to chase it down. But <laughs> who here's excited for She Hulk? 
You are really? Of course I am, what? man. I drink the Kool Aid. I love content. <laughs> Give it to me. Are you gonna watch oh, bro. it, bro? Do you like Kool-Aid without any sugar, bro? <laughs> Come on, she Hulk is sweet. Ain't, ain't, ain't nothing sweet about these last Phase Four shows. She Hulk is a rad character. <laughs> yeah, but this the trailer they've put out so far, it it looks like the worst thing Marvel has ever made. Yeah, e- easy. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Holy moly! Well, it, it, remember when Sonic? You know the first trailer came out. The okay, Sonic, the up war, and then they made it better. I'm kind of hoping that's what they did with the She-Hulk, and I think at the Comic Con they're going to do another trailer for the show. You know that. Well, they'll have to because it comes out in like yeah. a month. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's going to look better. But I think like they said, the thing is supposed to be on there, which is Jason Siegel. I guess the Jason rumor is. Jason Siegel, yeah, he's, he's he's the thing. Really? That's what they're how saying. How do you guys feel about that? I, I mean, well, the last rumor I heard was Seth Rogen. No yeah. Way. No. And no way. and now it's Jason Siegel. So I I think if both those rumors are true, and and Jason Siegel is is like a ninety nine percent positive, like that's mm-hmm. who it's going to be. It, it seems like they're trying to have some sort of comedy aspect. But I really like Jason Siegel. I'm a huge fan of High mm-hmm. Met Your Mother, and he can play both the comedy and the heartfelt kind of tug that Ben Grimm needs. Right. As a character, so Jason Siegel's really cool. I, I like that guy a lot. Forgetting Sarah Marshall and oh yeah, you know it's good stuff. I love you, man. Which all uh, all of his comedic roles. I mean, yeah. has he done a serious mo- a movie at all? A few I, I mean, he, thing he's, is funny, man. It's clobbering time. He's good at being both, and I think that's why they chose him. My um, sweet Aunt Petunia, because he really is good at being serious. He do, he's done a lot of drama, dramatic work. The Lakers show, the the Dynasty, uh, Winning Time. Oh yeah, yeah. He that's plays. Right. He yeah, just he plays, just a really straight laced yeah. coach, coach the whole time, and so mm-hmm. he he's got he's got it. He can do it, and and uh, I I'm excited about that pick. I think it's interesting. I don't know what it's going to sound like or look like. That part worries me, but I think if if they're looking for someone who can say the catchphrase. And pull it off. They would need a comedian because comedians often uh, are able to to say things that a lot of other actors can't and pull it off. You know, uh, Dukes, She Hulk. Uh, she Hulk. Are you pumped? No, I am not. <laughs> uh, Attorney at law. I'm gonna watch. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it, but hopefully, I am surprised. At this point, it looks like a complete waste of viewing time <laughs> yeah i've already added it to my tier list as the worst thing on there in anticipation <laughs> that it might rise but it's it's beneath captain marvel for me so far I, I think it has one intent and that is just to be fun i you know it's not going to take itself too seriously it's not going to connect anything else it's just it's just going to be like when john Byrne was writer just you know comedy gold hopefully hopefully alfonso you, you can't give it a pass by saying Oh, we're not supposed to take it seriously. Yeah. No, no, dude. You, you made me watch this half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, over six, nine episodes, whatever it is. And say, oh, don't take it seriously. We're just having fun. <laughs> no, dude, don't try to have fun with my viewing time. I could be watching something else. There's nothing wrong with fun. I think it'll be important because they got true. Bruce Banner in there, like featured prominently. I feel like it'll be important moving forward. Sun's getting real low, big fella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, bro. Come on, man. 
All right. All right. <laughs> so we're all really pumped for She-Hulk. Well, thank you guys for being on today. And yeah, thanks for having us again. Diving into Miss Marvel. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having mm-hmm. us on. The pleasure's ours. The pleasure's ours. It's <laughs> always a pleasure to hear Gabe. No. Gabe l- pronounced names live and, and do a, <laughs> and do a summary. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it made sense. Uh, always look forward to those, man. It's fun for me to ask him to do them on the spot because it's never planned. No, and I forget about it every time. My goal, as well as when I got on here, is to say something where Steven just looks at us and goes, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Do I say that a I'm lot? I'm just like, right. I'm all, cha-ching. <laughs> New thought acquired. <laughs> New thought. <laughs> that happens. That happened tonight about X-Men 97. I never thought about that. When is that due? Next year. End of oh. next year, I would assume. You know what I'm curious about? What song are you going to play us out with? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Some Bollywood? score. Bollywood. Bollywood mix. Let's all do the dance. Yeah. Throw some Bollywood in there. Okay. Well, here it is.